You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Now, if you were with us this morning, you'll know that uh, I gave you a hint that we were going to be talking on worship tonight. And I've titled the message simply, Worship That Gets Heaven's Attention. Now, in the short time that I have, I'm, I'm not going to tackle the whole topic of, of worship. But I was drawn um, in a recent uh, study of, of the Word of God into this particular understanding. And I just wanted to share it with you because it, it did help me transition some of my thinking and made me more intentional in my worship of God. So we're going to go first and I'm going to set the basis, typical teacher style, give you a definition of worship. You know, it's, 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 it needs to be put there. That's just my nature. So the Webster Dictionary says this, Worship is to honor and show reverence for a divine being or a supernatural power. It says this, to regard with great and extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. So with that as a foundation, we're going to go to what Jesus said in John chapter 4. We're going to read from the New King James Version. In verse 3 it says, but the hour is coming and now is. The hour is coming and now is. So Jesus is talking about the period that we find ourselves in today. It now is. It's the kingdom, it's the time period of grace, the dispensation of grace. It now is. What? When the true worshipers, so we understand that there are those that worship that is not true, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. It's the desire of God's heart to have this kind of worship. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The Passion Translation puts it like this. It says, For now, From now on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. Not a right place, but a right heart. For God is spirit, and He longs to have sincere worshipers. We adore Him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking. So number one, as soon as we now read that scripture, I'm always, find me, Father. Find me. If you're looking, I want to be, I want to be found by you doing this. So I'm drawn to being in that position. And we understand that worshiping the Spirit has an aspect of that is worshiping in tongues. And Apostle Alan is dealing with that. So I'm not going to deal with that tonight. If you, if you um, want more on that topic, then join us on a, on a Sunday morning. Get the, the series that he's been teaching. But so it is worshiping God in our spiritual language as we sing in tongues. But it's also worship that comes from the reborn spirit man of God within us. It's genuine worship that comes from the spirit man that is being transformed into the likeness of God. And it manifests not just in what comes out of our mouth, but in our behavior. And I'm going to show you scriptures that draw us into this understanding. And then, of course, worshiping in truth is that that comes from the word of God, that we understand what God wants from us, and we give God what he wants from us. And I'll talk more about that as we go through. So as I'm setting this foundation to, to take you into what I want to take you into tonight, 
I want us to go to Isaiah chapter 29, and in the New Living Translation in verse 13, the Bible says that this is what God doesn't want. He's speaking to the people and he says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learnt by rote. Learnt off by heart. Man-made rules learnt off by heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I went to uh, a high school. And in those days, we did assembly almost every day. And every day that we had assembly, we always said the Our Father. Okay? Now, we call it the Our Father because it comes from a very traditional background. But simply, it's the prayer that Jesus taught them to pray, and it starts, Our Father. So I learned to say that prayer off by heart. I could say that prayer while thinking about the exam that I was going to write that morning. While looking across and trying to see if I could find my pretty wife sitting somewhere over there, I could be saying the words with my mouth, but there was nothing happening in my heart. There was not even something happening in my brain. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was somewhere, to somewhere else. But if you looked at my mouth, they were saying the words. So that's what it means when it says they got into rote. So we have a look at this. And if God's dealing with this, we understand, first of all, God's looking for heart worship. Worship that comes from the heart. And the lips simply must bring forth that which is in the heart. If it's on the lips and not in the heart, God says it doesn't, it's not worship. Then he said, man-made rules versus that which is authentic. All of us that are in relationships understand that they can give you lots of books on how to love your wife. Okay? I was told, if you want to be romantic, give flowers. I spent a lot of money as a young man who didn't have any money trying to romance my wife with flowers, only to find out after I'd been married for something like 15 years, flowers don't do it for her. But I was following the rules and not following her. I never found out what she wanted. So I just gave her what everybody said I should give her and what I wanted to give her. And I never got the response out of that. I remember coming home one day when I learned the truth and I had this bunch of long-stemmed roses, red roses, and you know that they can cost a pretty penny. And I gave them to her and she said, thank you. And I looked at her and I said, sweetie, I was looking for a bit more than thank you. And that's when she said to me, you know, Danny, flowers die. <laughs> Boom! I suddenly had revelation. Flowers weren't doing it for me. So it's not just Man-made rules. It needs to be authentic. It's what God has called for. It speaks of our love language. Worship is the love language that God requires of us. And a love language is what they want, not what we want to give. Okay? My love language is gifts. So I give my wife gifts. But I can't expect my wife to respond from that because for her... Hers is time, quality time, and I can give her as many gifts as I want, but if I don't spend time with her, it's not what she needs. So the love language of God is worship. But what kind of worship? It's worship that comes from the heart. It's intentional. It's not something I've, I've learned off by heart. 
I can't be in the service here worshiping God and having my mind somewhere else because then it's not really worship. Oh, it's a challenge, isn't it? Because we are all challenged in that. Some of us are wonderful. We, we can focus, but hey, I can really, I find myself thinking about all kinds of stuff. And I know that that wasn't worship. Jesus picked it up and he said in Matthew 15, he, he quoted Isaiah and he, he, taught, he called the Pharisees, and I'm not picking on the Pharisees today. I know that this morning I did it as well, but it just happened to be the Scriptures. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So we understand from this that, number one, worship is when we come and sing to God, using our body, using our, our words, but it's more than that. I'm going to show you scriptures now. They're going to say to you that worship of God is when we serve in the kingdom. I'll show you scriptures that tell you that serving in the kingdom is worship of God. When I serve others, I'm worshiping God. Worship is when I give. When we gave, our, returned our tithes and we sowed our offerings, we were worshiping God. Worship is when we obey the Father. When I obey the Father, acts of obedience are seen by the Father as worship. And worship is when we sacrifice. When we put aside what we want for the sake of our Father, He receives that. As worship. Go with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The New King James, it reads this way Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. When we bring ourselves to God and we determine to give our lives to God and we say to Him, You can do with us what you want to do. The Bible says God sees that as worship. The, the, the Passion Translation says it this way. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? To surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifices and living holiness, experiencing all the delights, all that delights His heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. All that delights His heart is where I want to be. God sees that as worship, the living sacrifice. You know the difficulty with the living sacrifice is the living sacrifice doesn't like to be sacrificed. How many of you agree with me? Come on. If it was easy, it wouldn't be called sacrifice. Those of you that removed yourself from where you were and sacrificed your comforts to be in church, God sees that as a sacrifice. Now notice our, our sacrifice must never be grudgingly. You know? And sometimes I leave the house grudgingly, but by the time I get to church, I've changed my heart. I, I don't know. I'm just not as holy as some people are. There are times when I'm going out and I'm going, <sighs> but by the time I get to church, I've changed my heart because I don't want to give God anything grudgingly or of necessity. I want to give it because He wants it of me. He's called for it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, Paul's talking about 
the end times. And he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's talking about the shaking that will happen in the end time. But the kingdom of God is not part of that shaking. Isn't that an amazing thing? The world around us will be shaken. But we won't be shaken. Not because we can't feel the tremors, but because our eyes are set on God. Come on now. That's worship. Because that means that my eyes are focused on the Father, not on the things around me. I'm already determined where I'm going to be. He says, which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. See that word serve? When you go read that in the New Living Translation, it says it this way. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. The word serve is also translated as the word worship. When you go look at the Greek, it can be translated both ways. The translators in the other scriptures look to use the word worship. So when we serve, we worship. It's worship. And worship is important to God. Now, I'm going to take a different track right now. I want to share with you some of the most powerful worship of God that I have. Now, I could spend a lot of time on this, but I've just chosen five. And I want you to absorb just what, what, what you see in these scriptures and see how it's impacted my spirit, man, when it comes to worshiping God. The first one I want to look at is one that we often go to. It's, it's Paul and Silas in prison. Paul and Cyrus in prison, and we're going to look at the Acts chapter 16, verse 25 from the Passion Translation, and it reads this way. Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God, while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. And so often we get that picture of yeah, these two men in prison choosing to worship God. But what we miss is the fact that their day started with going to pray. The first verse tells us they left that morning, Paul and Silas left to go and pray, the hour of prayer. Yeah, we're two devoted Christians going to do what they should be doing. They're going to pray. The day ends with them in the stocks beaten and whipped in a prison. They started in prayer. Not only did they go to prayer, but on their way to prayer, a woman that was demon-possessed began to harass them. And Paul serves her by delivering her of that demon. She didn't even know that what she was was sending her to hell. And Paul serves her and drives the demon out and she's set free. And as a result, Everybody turns against him. Yara, two Christians, loving and serving God. And their reward is they get beaten, they get whipped, and they get put in prison, in stocks. Their bodies are broken and they're bruised. And that's when they're worshiping. That's when they're worshiping because their worship is so genuine, they don't blame God for where they are. I don't know about you, but I have sometimes had a puncture on my car and go, oh God, why now? My whole attitude towards God changed because I had an inconvenience. Something went wrong. Nothing that went wrong in their day changed their hearts before God. 
and they're singing so passionately that the prison is listening to them. Not even telling them to shut up, be quiet, we're trying to sleep. They're so genuine in their worship. Their hearts are so drawn towards God that their worship gets God's attention. Because verse 26 says, suddenly. You see, I'm talking about worship that gets God's attention. Suddenly, something changes. There's this earthquake and they are set free. Suddenly, we have God's attention, not because you were worshiping and singing a song because you're in a bad situation, but because your life is worship to God. The circumstances of my life are not important. I'm focused on God. You see, worship is more powerful when the challenges are at our door and we're facing them. When the challenges are far off, our worship is good, but it's more powerful when the challenges are at our door. Our worship is more powerful when the enemy is trying to silence us. When we know we can see the hand of the enemy moving and we choose to worship, we move in great power. And worshiping is more powerful when it's genuine because it's who we are, not what we're trying to get God to do. They didn't decide to worship so they can get God to move. They were worshiping from that morning already with their actions towards God. Isn't that interesting? Number two. This is a beautiful one that I love because it's the woman who is a prostitute and brings the perfume to anoint Jesus' feet. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 38, and a couple of other verses afterwards, but they'll show it to you as we get there. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. I'm not picking on the Pharisees. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat and in the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. And when she heard that Jesus was at Simeon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and in front of all the guests, she knelt at the feet of Jesus. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with tears that fell from her face, she kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. And then, as an act of worship, she opened her flask, anointed his feet with her costly perfume. Wow. Verse 47 says this. She, Jesus talking, she has been forgiven of all her sins. That is why she has shown me such extravagant love. She has been forgiven. That's why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Those who assume they have little to be forgiven. See, you know, there would have been those in the group that said, well, I'm not a prostitute. I don't need that much forgiveness. But according to the word, one sin. One sin is all it takes. And I don't know about you, but I've had a lot more than one sin.
Jesus says this in verse 50. When Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Your faith in me. What she was doing was not begging. She didn't come to beg for mercy. She had already received her forgiveness. She knew how much she needed that. And she knew how far she was from God. And she had already received it. Her actions were an action of faith. She wasn't trying to move heaven. She was responding to heaven. She came with an attitude of genuineness into an environment that was toxic. She was a, an immoral woman. They all knew that she was a prostitute. The chances are that some of the men inside the room already knew her personally. She knew she was being condemned by everybody that walked into that, who stood there looking at her, and yet she still chose to come. She wasn't moved by what other people were thinking about her going to Jesus. Sometimes as Christians, we... we we don't want people to know that I go to that church because it has a reputation. Well, Jesus had a reputation. We didn't move because of the, what the people were thinking. She just went. Her act of faith wasn't to try and get Jesus to move. She just understood how much he had done for her. And that's what moves me. I realize I stand here today because of how much he's done for me. I look at my life and I think, I don't deserve this. Nothing, even that I do today, earns. Because I know who I am. You know, I know the hypocrisy that rises up inside me. When stuff happens and my first intention is not holy. When the person drives in front of me and I have to take control, there's... It just goes to show you how far I still am from who God really is. She has this moment where she doesn't care what anybody says. And it causes her to bring such a sacrifice. The Bible tells us that that was a year's salary that she brought. And she just poured it out on his feet. Genuineness of her heart, the attitude of her worship. Then the other one I want to look at is the, the widow in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, where in the Passion Translation we read the destitute widow. She's not just a widow, she's destitute. Okay? Widow means that she has no husband. There's no one to fall back on. All right? She's alone. In that society, the reason she was destitute most probably was because her husband had died. There was no source of income that she could fall back on. And yet, she comes. And she drops her two small copper coins. Sorry, I wanted to say, before we move on, the, the woman who brought the alabaster jar, she gets heaven's attention because Jesus looks at her and he says to her, now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. Heaven speaks. And we know we're going to meet that lady one day. Because heaven has already declared the peace of God upon her. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. The widow woman, Jesus called his disciples to gather around and said to them, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given a larger offering than any of the wealthy. For the rich gave out of their surplus, but she sacrificed out of her poverty and gave to God all that she had to live on. 
It's simple. It's sacrificial. She's not looking for anybody's acknowledgement. She doesn't stand there waiting for people to see that she's in trouble. She's not outside begging so she can... No. She has something, and so she brings it. It's such a genuine act of love, act of sacrifice. It gets heaven's attention. Jesus stops what he's doing, and he says, Come and look at this. Heaven responds immediately to her worship of God. And I heard this, and it just struck such a chord with me. People will judge the size of our God by the cost of our worship. People will judge the size of our God by the cost of our worship. The more we prepare to give in worship, the more people will understand how big God is. The less we are prepared to give in worship, the more people will go, maybe he's not real. We don't give part of our lives. We give our whole lives. I don't give some of my attitude. I give all of my attitude. And when I do that, people look and go, there must be something about your God. And God grows in their eyes. Well, the world will make, tithe, make, make tithing funny. They mock it. They go, oh, you must be crazy. Why? Because the size of our worship intimidates them. They look at it, they can't understand it. And it grows God in their thinking all the time. So God immediately responded to her. Number four, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12 in the New Living Translation, it says, Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by, the horns in, by his horns in a thicket, and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in a place of his son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. This act of obedience, this act of obedience was such worship of God that you and I sit here today because of it. When you listen to Pastor Allen's teachings on the blood covenant and you begin to understand that you and I sit here because of the worship that Abraham offers God. His obedience to an instruction. Because you must remember that Abraham was an enormously wealthy man in so many ways. More camels than he knew what to do with donkeys, sheep, cattle, you name it, servants. But he only had one son. And he had a big vision to fulfill with that one son. Everything rested on Isaac. And when God called for it, Abraham was prepared to give it. We can't even hold our family as an excuse not to sacrifice and a move in obedience to God. A simple act of obedience of walking up to somebody that God said, go tell that person I love them. That act of obedience is worship to God. And it gets heaven's attention. The results of Abraham's worship are will never stop being felt because the blood of Jesus still speaks for us today. His faith 
led him to obedience, and his obedience was seen as worship. And it leads to the, the, the climactic one for tonight, for me to, to stop. And as I said, I could have gone through so much more. Because of that sacrifice, we lead to Luke chapter 22 and verse 41, where Jesus says to the Father, If it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's worship. That's worship. I am putting you first. My obedience to your instruction, regardless of the fact that I know what's going to happen. I love you so much, Father. You see, love will generate obedience. Obedience sings to God. Obedience sings to God. He sings of our commitment to Him. So much love, so much devotion to the Father that even his own life, even the suffering that he would go through, even hell, could not stop him. And that worship to God gets heaven's attention. And today that blood, as God said, come and sit at my right hand forever and ever. This is your throne. So yes, we must sing. We must sing worship to God. We must use our instruments to make melodies and lead others into the presence of God so they too can worship God. But let our love for God, our lives for God, take us to deeper realms of worship. To understand that when God calls for something, it's not actually taking something from you. It's your ability to, our ability to give to God our devotion, our love, our hearts. Our attitudes talk to Him of how much He is worthy. Our sacrifices sing to God. They get, heaven's seeking this. He's looking. And when He sees it, things change because we are genuinely Worshipping the Father. The realm of our worship just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. It calls attention. The enemy hates it when we worship God with our lives. He doesn't mind so much if we're only worshipping God in one aspect. But he cannot control a church that is prepared to worship God in all levels because he knows that heaven's attention will lead to massive changes in the people around us. Imagine the impact of genuinely being obedient, sacrificing, and loving God, regardless of what we are experiencing. The world will look at us and go, why? And immediately they'll look to God. Because it is God that caused it from the start.